If you would, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. For those of you all that were here on Sunday, uh, my dad, Pastor James, uh, announced that we are trying something different. We're going through the book of Ephesians as a church uh, through these next few teachings on Wednesday nights and Sundays. And so uh, he started it off with Ephesians chapter 1, and then tonight we're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and then obviously this weekend we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I was given the choice between Ephesians 2 and 3, and like I've been telling people, I figured, well, if I get it out, er, out of the way early, they can fix all the mistakes that I make tonight. So, but let's go ahead and start in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. And as we study your word, we do pray that you would just open up our hearts, Lord, to what it is you have for us. That, Lord, you would speak to us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us, that you would continue to build in us, Lord. And we do lift up the, the cities around Houston, the city of Houston. We'll lift up the cities that were hit this past week by Hurricane Irma, and we just pray that you would just continue to provide for those communities, that you would watch over them, Lord, and that you would comfort those that have lost loved ones, Lord. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that I love about Ephesians, and especially about this chapter, is because Paul will continually, as we go through this, kind of give us the before and after. Kind of like that picture of this is who you were, but now this is who you are in Christ. And as a result, now this is what you get. And this is how you should live and, and how now we should continue to move forward. And it starts from the very beginning. Because in verse 1, he says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, or we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Paul says, look, he made you alive, even though this is who you were. And it's one of those things that I, I think sometimes we don't understand exactly what that means, because it's, it's one of those that, 
even when we talk to youth sometimes, they talk about, you know, well, I, it just doesn't seem to make sense because we always talk about, well, you can't do anything in, uh, apart from Christ. You know, it says in the Bible, abide in me and, and I in you. And, and if you abide in me, you can do much as the vines can't bear fruit without the, without the tree, without the branches. You can do nothing without me. Like it makes no sense because there are friends at my school that they're getting hundreds they're cheating their way through. They're getting their, they're, they're succeeding in life. They're going to all the schools they want to go to. It, it just, it doesn't seem to make sense to me because you guys always tell us, hey, you're not going to succeed or you're not going to have anything apart from Christ. And I think one of the st- distinctions that we need to make is that it's, you're not going to have anything of value. And I think there's a difference. You know, the way that Paul writes it in verse 2, and when he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, the word there could also be used as meandered or kind of walked aimlessly. If you've ever gone to Target without a shopping list, you know what that's like, you know, where you're just kind of wandering up and down the shopping aisles, and you're not exactly sure what you're looking for, you're just enjoying shopping. Now, that is not me at all. That's my wife, which is why she's normally not allowed to go to Target by herself. Because one of the things that happens as you go through the store, if you don't have a list, it doesn't mean you don't buy anything. It just means there's no limit to what you buy. And a lot of times it means that you buy a lot of stuff that you didn't actually need. You know, and I think we've all had that experience where we go to the store and we forget what we went in for. We spend a couple of hours shopping. We go home with bags and bags full of stuff. But then we get home and we realize, oh man, I needed milk. You know, and you've come home with a ton of stuff. You've got a lot of baggage, but you're missing what you really needed. And that's what Paul's talking about. There are people in this life that, man, they're going through life and they're piling up a bunch of stuff. They're succeeding. There are guys that, man, they're billionaires and and multi-billionaires and all this stuff. They're flying around in private jets. They own sports teams. Man, they're piling up a bunch of stuff. But they're walking through this life like it's a store and they forgot their shopping list because the one thing they needed was Christ. And at the end of the day, they're going to realize that, man, that's what's been missing. That's what's been lacking in their lives. See, they're walking, as Paul says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Paul says, again, that's who we once were. That it was one of those that, man, you know what? We did things just because we wanted it. Or we did it because it felt right at the moment. It made us happy. And as I think we've mentioned before, we spent a lot of time worrying about our happiness and a lot less time worrying about our righteousness. One of the things that John will tell us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, is that we need to be careful with that attitude. We need to be careful about falling in love with the things of the world. Where he says, starting in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. John tells us the same thing that Paul tells us. There is a difference between life and death, and it shows up in the way that we live our lives what, and, and what we're chasing after, really, and what we're piling up. Are we living this life for the things of the world, the things that we can get here and now, and trying to pile those up at the expense of what God has called us to be? I remember when my wife and I, um, we were in the hospital with our, and we had just had our daughter. And we were just sitting there, and we were kind of thinking about finances and everything else. And we were just a, a little bit freaked out because we were like, man, you know, there are a lot of things that we're going to need with Layla, things like formula, diapers, all that stuff. And some workers from Chip came in, and uh, they started talking to us about the things that they could offer. And so they got our financial information and everything, and they looked at it, and they said, oh, you know what? I'm sorry you guys make too much money, but you know what? We have a solution. And they told my wife, if you just write down that you guys are separated and you only claim your income, we can hook you up with everything. And don't worry, we do this all the time. Like nobody ever gets caught. I'm not even going to lie. There was a, they like walked out of the room. They said, okay, you guys think about it and we'll come back in a little bit. I would love to sit here and tell you that as the head of the household, the spiritual like rock that I'm supposed to be, I looked at my wife and I said, you know what, babe? No, we need to honor the Lord with everything that we do. And this is wrong. And, you know, what a witnessing opportunity. But that's not what happened. I looked at my wife and I said, I mean, it sounds good. <laughs> you know, like, what do you think? And like she looked at me and she goes, babe, we can't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? They just said we could. Like, did you not hear? She goes, babe, we can't do that. I was like, yeah, I know, you're right. So they came back in, and they were like, so what would you decide? And we said, you know what? We're married. We can't claim otherwise. Like, if we can't get all this stuff, you know, we're just going to have to figure it out. And they said, okay. They left. They looked at us like we were nuts, and, and they left. And no joke, there would be times we were going through our lives, and, and when Layla was first born, she was, she was on formula and stuff, and there would, be, there would be a lady that would show up in the church whose kids were, like, in college, and she would come, and she'd show up with, like, a box of formula that was specific to Layla's, and she'd tell us, you know what, um, this randomly got sent to me in the mail. Like, I haven't had kids in, you know, this age in like 10, 15 years, but somehow I ended up on a mailing list for formula. Can you use it? We're like, well, yeah, of course. Like, you know, like it, it was just like little things like that. Things where, you know, we, I'd be doing the math and, and I couldn't figure out how we were going to make the rent and everything else. And we'd get to the end of the month and we'd have made rent and had a little bit left over. And it was just one of those, that, man, like I, I, I learned a lot about the difference between trusting in God and just trying to lay up treasures here. And I think sometimes we make these compromises. We look around and we say, well, everybody else is doing it and nobody else is getting caught. But the question then becomes for us tonight is are we walking in the life that we've been given or in the deadness of who we were? 
Because Paul says there ought to be a difference. This is who you were before Christ. You were chasing after the same things everybody else was, and you were willing to do all the same things they were. But that should have changed. Because as he describes who we were, these, these very fleshly, these very ugly people, we get to what my old youth pastor, Pastor Joe, used to call one of the beautiful butts in the Bible. Where it's one of those, like, you, you get this very negative, this very dark picture, but in the very next verse it says, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says, but God changed all that. Or at least he should have. If we are who we say we are, then there ought to be a difference because of who God is and because of the love that he has for us. I love that from the very beginning, it says that it had nothing to do with anything except for his great love with which he loved us. There's a verse that I'm sure that we're all familiar with. You see it at pretty much every sporting event or or anytime there's a crowd around, you see somebody holding the sign, and it's John 3, verse 16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's one of those verses I always struggle with putting into a teaching. Because I'm, I'm like, man, you know, that's such a basic verse. That's not one that you should share with adults. That's like a child's verse. That's one you teach the kids in the back on a Wednesday night. You know, you write on their little plates or whatever else they're making back there. And you, know, and you ask them, hey, what'd you learn? Oh, for God so loved the world. You know, that, that, that's where that belongs. But as I was studying and as I was going through it, I was reminded that, man, we can never get enough of being reminded that God loves us that he loves you. And I think sometimes we forget that, or sometimes we shy away from that verse, you know, where somebody says, well, what's your favorite verse? And we try and think of anything and everything but John 3.16 because we're going to be shamed for it. Oh, yeah, well, everybody knows that one. I'm going to tell you here and now, John 3.16 is one of my favorite verses because it changed everything for me. Because of his love, I'm not walking in death. I'm not trapped in sin. Because of his love, because he sent his son to die for me, to pay the price for me. Because of his rich mercy, even when I was dead in my trespasses. In Romans chapter 5, Paul puts it another way, where he tells us, starting in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, it says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's, again, that just that reminder that it wasn't something that I did. It wasn't because of my righteousness, because I was great, because I'm the son of a pastor, or because of, you know, who my brother is, or because of what I've done as a father, or any of those things. It's been because God loves you, even though you're a sinner. 
even though you've done nothing to deserve it. You know, I've tried for years to try and find a way to describe that kind of love. And it really wasn't until I had my daughter that I even really got a glimpse of it. And it's not because I don't love my son, but I didn't have the privilege of seeing him as a baby. But when I saw my daughter, and they first handed me to her in the hospital, like, I mean, I was just overcome. I think I cried a little, and, and I'm not a big crier. And I think I cried, and I looked at her, and I was like, man, Layla, Daddy loves you. And it wasn't because she came out of the womb, like, with a gold brick. You know, she didn't come out like and tell me, Dad, one day I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or everything else, and I'm going to buy you a big house. And I said, wow, baby, you're, you're so awesome. I love you because of what you're going to be. I looked at that little messy girl that they handed me that was all furry, and I said, man, I love you. And it was just one of those moments that was like I couldn't – I, if somebody had said, well, why? I, the only answer I could give them was because she's mine. She belongs to me. That's my daughter. It's not because of anything else. It's just because of that. And I thought, man, that's just a small glimpse of the way God looks at us. I think so many times we struggle with that. We try and figure it out. God, why do you love me? God, what is it about me? Well, I think the biggest problem there is that we make it about us, and it's really all about Him. He loves us because of who He is. And He says, not only did He save us, not only did He make us alive, but it says it, He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. As if it wasn't enough that he took us from death to life, now he says, and now I have a purpose for you. Now I have something that I have for you to do. And I'm going to show you what it is. And I'm going to continue to work on you. And I'm going to use you to do that. I think, again, it's one of those that sometimes we focus so much and we lead up so much to that act of conversion, to that act of the, leading somebody to the Lord's Prayer or even coming to that place of the Lord's Prayer that we forget that that, that is simply the first step in a very, very long and amazing journey. That that is not the end and be all. That's just the beginning of the book. And sometimes we get so caught up in that that we forget, okay, now going forward, now there is more to this. Now there is, you know, there, there, is, there is a purpose for me. Now I get to share that. Now I get to be an example. You know, I, I was thinking of, you know, and we know the story of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And how different the story would have been if he had said, Lazarus, come forth, and then that was it. 
If he hadn't gone that extra step and said, okay, now remove the, the tomb clothes, you know, basically get him ready to go out into society, I think it would have changed the way the story continued. Because just imagine if, you know, this guy Lazarus, or Lazarus is walking through the city wrapped up like a mummy. Like, there's no joy in that. That's like the beginning of a scary movie right there, you know? Like, that's, that's, there's, got, there's a difference, right? Like, he says, okay, now take all those, the, what you wrapped him in, prepared him for burial. He's no longer dead. He's alive. Now he's going to go out and he's going to walk among the living. He needs to be dressed for that. It sounds almost similar to the language that we see in the Bible when we look at things like Romans chapter 13, verse 14, where Paul will tell us that we are to put off the old and to put on the new. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, in verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on that new garment. Put on His righteousness. Put on, as we're going to see in Ephesians 6, as, you, as we go through this study, put on the armor of God. Sorry about that. But put on the armor of God so that you may go out there and be ready for what it is that you're called to do. Let there be a changing of the garments, and for us, a changing of the life, a changing of who we were. Paul, again, kind of jumping ahead a little bit in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, and I apologize, I'm sure I jump around a lot up here, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul tells us, but you have not so learned Christ, comparing again that old man to the new. He says, but you have not, not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, listen, there needs to be a change, and it needs to be evident as we walk out. Again, we, we're all familiar with the Christian lingo, or, or maybe you will be after tonight, where we talk about where we sing the song, Come Just As You Are. But one of the things that we always talk about is, yes, come just as you are, but don't leave the same way. Sometimes I think we approach the idea of repentance, the idea uh, of salvation, the idea of walking with Christ the way I did as a child with showers. You know, I, I honestly don't know what was going through my head when I was younger, but I did not like to take showers. I, I felt like it was kind of a waste of time. I used to love to read. And so what I would do is I would hide books in the bathroom underneath the towels because our cabinet was inside the bathroom. So I would hide books underneath the towels. And when I would get sent to take a shower, I would turn the water on. But then I would sit on the drain so that the water would shoot right over me. And I'd sit down and I'd read my book. And then after a little bit, I'd realized, mainly because my dad would be knocking at the door like, son, you've been in there for a while. Are you okay? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, it's time to get out. And I'd, I'd say, oh, okay, and I'd turn off the water, and I'd get out, and I'd put on fresh clothes, and I'd walk out. And my dad would say, son, did you shower? 
I was like, oh yeah, of course I did. I was a horrible liar even then because my hair would be dry, just like bone dry. And he would touch it and he'd be like, son, the soap's not even wet. I was like, ah. Oh. He's like, go back in and shower and get new clothes because now you've got a nose dirty. And it's this idea that, man, well, I got close enough to the water, right? Like I was in the place where the water was. There was soap near me. Isn't that enough? No, you're not clean. Until you go through the motions and you actually put the soap on and you allow all of the, the filth of the day to be removed from you through the process of that shower, no, you're not clean. And see, it's one of those that I think for us, the reminder in that is, no, it's not enough just to come to church on Wednesday nights or Sundays. Because if we're coming in and we're bringing all that filth from the world in with us and we're looking at it and we're saying, oh man, I feel so convicted, I feel so bad, I feel so horrible, but then we leave and go right back to it, then where has the putting off of the old and putting on the new really taken place? And it's one of those that I, I think sometimes we forget. But Paul makes it clear, hey, you were dead, now you're alive. There should be a change. And not just so that a change for change's sake, but a change so that others can then see how amazing God is. And I think, again, I, I mean, Paul just makes it so clear in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, why it is now that we're being sent out and, and how it is that God uses us. Because he's writing there to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, as I buy myself some time to get there. But Paul writes there and he says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemy, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, this is one of those passages that has always had a very special meaning to me because it was one of those that God really spoke to me when I first, for those of you guys that don't know, there was a time where I, was, I, I had to step away from ministry early on. And when I was coming back, I was really struggling with what it was that God wanted to do in me and why it was that I was going back to the same ministry where I had had to leave. 
And I was sitting in my room and I was worried and I was just freaking out leading up to that first Sunday that I was going to go in there just to be in the room. It was like, it was really freaking me out. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what it is I can possibly do in this youth anymore. After what I've done, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And as I was reading, he brought me to this place and he says in verse 16, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And it was one of those, you are an example of my love and my grace. And that is something that is so desperately needed. Because I think so many times we try and present this air of perfection. We talked a little bit about it at the men's retreat. That, man, we are so good at lying in church that we come in and we're struggling and we're battling all sorts of things all week long. Sometimes we're battling things all the way leading up to church, but we get to church and Tommy's there to open the door and, and the ushers and they're saying, hey, how are you? And we say, oh, I'm doing good. Pastor Charlie or, or whoever it is on the weekends when he's not here, and they end their service, and if anybody needs prayer, please come forward. And we say, oh man, no, see, that's not for me. That's for those people that are really struggling. I'm just struggling a little bit. So you know what? I don't need to be up there. I don't need anybody to pray for me. You know what? I've got it all figured out. And we forget what Paul remembered and understood even more as he got to the end of his life. Man, I'm the chief of all sinners. It is only by grace that I stand here. And man, I need your prayers. I had this awesome moment where we came back from the men's retreat. And a gentleman from the Spanish ministry sat in the service, second service, that Sunday after we got back. Again, to be honest, it freaked me out for a little bit because I was like, oh man. Like, what has his kid told me? Like, why is he here? I'm in trouble. Like, I think I stuck to my notes more than I've ever stuck to my notes in any teaching. And I was sweating, and I think I kept making eye contact with him. And so as soon as I, I closed in prayer, he came up, and I said, oh, man, here we go. And I was already getting ready to defend everything I'd done because I couldn't really figure out what I'd done wrong. So I just figured, I'm going to be prepared for everything. And he came up to me, and he goes, I'm so glad I got to meet you because I've been praying for you and I didn't know who you were. And I was like, dude, that's so awesome. And I said, thank you so much and please don't stop praying because I need it. I need those prayers because man, it's not my wisdom or grace. It's the Lord that's carrying me through and it's the prayers of the people around. And I'm not ashamed. And, and the youth will tell you, there are times I'll come in and I'll tell them, you know what, guys? I'm in a bad mood today. Sometimes I don't have to tell them. They already know. But sometimes I'll tell them, you know what? I'm sorry, guys. I'm in a bad mood. Or sometimes it'll be one of those that, you know, a week later I'll say, you know, guys, I have to apologize because, you know what? I was struggling with something and I took it out on you. And I need you to pray. Because I think it's important for us to realize that we were not put here and we're not here because of our perfection or because of how awesome we are. We're here because of the grace that we have found in him. And that's where our strength is. 
And what an awesome opportunity we have to encourage each other in that. As Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, he then moves on to, to, the, to the work of the cross, and, or to continuing in the work of the cross. And he says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, Though at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, he's writing to the Gentiles and he's telling them, look, because of the work of the cross, look at what's happened. You who had this, you were in this darkness and you were in this place where you had no hope. Now you've been brought near because, man, the cross has just broken down that wall, as we're going to see in a little bit, that wall of separation. And it's now brought you into the fellowship. And again, as, as I was reading that, I was looking at it and I said, man, isn't that all of us? That those times that we weren't walking, those times we weren't where we were supposed to be, we were far off and without hope. And I'm sure a lot of us have all sorts of testimonies about all the places we sought to find that hope. But it wasn't until we realized that it was only found in the cross and that we were brought near by the blood of the Savior, of Jesus going to the cross, dying for us, that that's where we found that peace, that that's then where we found where we belonged. And again, I think it's important to remember there's a song that we sing sometimes during communion where we say, once again I look upon the cross and once again I'm broken. And it's this idea that once again as I look at the price that was paid for me, as I look at what it took to bring me to this place, I'm once again broken because man, who am I that you would have died for me? Sometimes we need to get back to that place of humility. There was a story we used to tell the youth about this pastor. And it's, it could be fictional, but it's, it's a great example about this pastor who is taking his church out, open-air outreaching. And the church was out there in the park, and they're, they're preaching the gospel, and they're doing all the things that a church should be doing until they saw a man being escorted by police or or by armed guard in handcuffs, being led to his death. And the church kind of all pulled back and pulled away and started whispering because everybody knew who this man was and what he had done. And so they all began to start talking about it and how just the punishment was. But one by one, they they found themselves just slowly being silenced as they saw their pastor go and speak to that man. And when the pastor came back to the congregation, they asked him and they said, Pastor, how could you have gone to talk to that murderer, to that guy, to that criminal? You know how dirty, you know how disgusting, you know what... what a horrible person he is. How could you have gone to talk to him? And the pastor looked at them and said, because there go I except for the grace of God. 
And sometimes I think we get to this place where almost like the Jews looking at the Gentiles, we look at the world around us and we say, oh man, I'm so disgusted by teenagers today. I'm so disgusted by television today. I'm so disgusted by the news. I'm so disgusted, disgusted, disgusted. And we forget that when Jesus looked around at the multitudes, he was not disgusted, but he looked and he looked at them with compassion for they were sheep without a shepherd. And I wonder how many times we lose sight of that because all of a sudden we've established ourselves as, oh, well, I am not that. No, but once you were, and except for the grace of God, you still would be. So before we get on our high horse and we look down at everybody else, we need to remember who our Savior was, who Jesus was. I like it. We're going through the book of Mark in the, in the youth on Sundays, and we're looking back at Jesus as just that perfect servant. And I love his response to the Pharisees when they challenge him because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, with people that he really shouldn't have been eating with. And his response to them is, hey, man, I've come for the sick. Obviously, he didn't say, hey, man, that's Sam's version. But he was like, hey, I've come for the sick. I haven't come for the well. Are we just worried about making sure that everybody that is well, everybody that is righteous, sees us as righteous? Or are we going to those that men are far off and without hope and sharing the love of God with them and preaching to them the message of the cross so that they too can be brought near? To say, man, I once was where you are. Like we sing in that hymn, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Is that the message that we're taking to the world today? As we go on in verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he who came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father." He says, for he is our peace who has broken down that middle wall of separation. You know, sometimes I think we take for granted the access that we have to the Father. Because it's one of those things that, almost like a little kid that has a lot of toys, that they have so many they don't play with any of them. That sometimes it's so easy for us to speak to the Father that we never do. But that middle wall is gone, the separation is gone, and He has become our peace. What an awesome thought that is. The world today is searching everywhere for peace. Pretty much every president has come forward with their plan for peace. And yet, we still haven't had peace. 
That's the goal of every politician that ever was. That, hey man, I'm going to bring an end to conflict, an end to war, an end to this, an end to that. You know what? It's all going to end under my watch because look, we're going we're gonna to put you know, a loaf of bread in every house or we're going to end the nuclear proliferation or whatever else there is. We're, gonna, we're just going to find it on my watch. And the only place it's found is in Him. The only place it's found is in coming to the cross. And it should be found here in the church. One of the cool things about being a, a youth pastor is we get to go on retreats a lot. And every summer we get to go away for a week with the kids up into the mountains and we get to just, we have a blast doing all sorts of games and and everything else, but one of my favorite parts is spending time with some of the other churches that go with us. Not even necessarily the other Calvaries, but every year there's churches from further up north, whether it's Fort Worth or, I don't know, Fort Worth's the only one I know. You know, but Fort Worth, you know, like they were with us this year, and, and it's so neat to sit down and talk to them because you realize you're separated by hundreds of miles, but really you're not separated at all. Because as you sit down and you start talking to them, you realize that, man, you're just talking to a brother in Christ. And their accents are different. They look a little different. The things they call Mexican food are way different. But really, there's no separation. Because, man, we have access to the Father through the cross. And it's so neat to see that. One of the things that we, I think we, and not just we as this church, but we as the church in general need to quit doing is looking to build those walls where God pulled them down. So many times I hear it, being at that crossroads between, you know, on my way to adulthood because I'm going to be 35 soon and I still don't think I'm there yet. But that place between adulthood and still a kid, being in the youth and, and just seeing the walls that are there. And I hate to bring it up every time to be that youth pastor, but, you know, that there is a very real gap taking place. Answers in Genesis wrote a book years ago called They're Already Gone. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, I would encourage you to do so. Because one of the things it talks about is how if we don't change the way that we're talking to the youth and the things that we're talking about, if we don't get into the real issues of the Bible with them and talk to them in a way that they understand it, we're looking at the last Christian generation. And we can sit here and we can build all the walls we want and make all the excuses we want. Well, it's because they're different. It's because they dress different. It's because they wear Crocs or whatever else it is that they do. I guess we wear Crocs too. I haven't got into that place, but I'm sure some of us do. But it's one of those, amen, you know, whatever it is, we sit here and we build these walls of separation that shouldn't be there because He is our peace. And man, they may talk different, 
But I think one of the cool things about doing the night of worship is we see that, man, they're worshiping the same God. It's such a blessing for me to be back there and to be led in worship by 16-year-olds pretty much every Sunday. It's a humbling experience, to be completely honest. Because I look at it and I see the love that they have for God. And it blows me away. And I'm so grateful for it. And I think sometimes we miss out on those things because we build walls where there never should have been. He says, he is our peace. He has broken down the wall. Now as we close out this chapter, he says, and look, now this is what we're being built in and upon. He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being filled together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He says, ultimately, the foundation is and always will be Christ. That that's where it should always go back to. You know, I, I worry sometimes about what it is that we're looking for when we chase after better worship experiences or, or more activities or, or all these other things. Because while all those things have a place, the foundation should be found in His Word. It should be built upon what he's done. That should not be the focus. And yet you look around and that is what it's becoming. How much of a show can we put on? How many people can we fit? Yeah, how, how much smoke and how much can we do with lights and everything else? You know, when you look back at Jesus' ministry, he didn't have any of that. And yet you look at how he reached the multitudes. You look at the apostles. They didn't have it either. What is it that we're relying on in our lives? I've told the youth sometimes that sometimes I just want to rip all the electrical stuff out of there. Mainly because I can never get the computer to work right. But I tell them, you know, sometimes I feel like it's more of a distraction than anything else. How neat it is when you just get away and you're able to just worship without all that stuff. When you're able to just spend time in the Lord and it's not about what the background is or, or what the sound sounds like or or any of that other stuff, but it's just the Lord. Because that's what it's built on. All those other things, they're going to come and go. One day, the buildings are going to be gone, and, it, and, and the sound equipment's all going to be gone. And, and what is it that our faith has been built on? Has it been built on the emotional experience of a worship service? 
the high of a retreat? Or is it built on the basics? That old rugged cross. Because that is what withstands the time. That's the cornerstone, the rock that won't be moved. That's where we find our peace and our strength. And that's what we have in him because of his love. And it's one of those that, again, we, we forget sometimes. Because it's so simple, sometimes we allow it to lose its value in our lives. Oh, well, I need this and I need that. No, what you need is Christ. What you need is to grow in him, to grow together with other like-minded believers in him, and to allow yourself to be built on that foundation. It's coming back to that simplicity, to that understanding that, man, we've been given way more than we deserve. I think of David when he's talking about all the creation and everything else. And in Psalm 8, verse 4, I believe it is, he, gets the, he writes and he says, What is man that you are mindful of him? I think of that sometimes. Who am I that you would want me? I think I've shared this before, but I, was, I went to a youth retreat, or a youth conference actually, a couple of years ago, and, and we got there early. So a couple of leaders and I, it was out there in San Diego, and so we went out to the beach. And we're standing out there, and it's beautiful. Like, you know, the waves are crashing. It's just, it's beautiful out there. And we stayed out there probably just you know, staring at the water in silence for a good half hour. And we're looking at it, and I'm just like, man, God, this is amazing. You made all of this. And it just, it, it blew my mind that out of all of that, he was looking at us. He chose us. He died for us. That's a crazy thought. And that he wants to use us to bring others to, to the knowledge of who he is. It would be so much easier without us, I think, sometimes. I know it would be so much easier without me. It's kind of like, you know, when my daughter wants to help me carry in the groceries. Like, she thinks she's so big. She's six, year old, six years old. You'll see her running around with her cousin after church right now. She thinks she's strong. She thinks she can carry everything. And so she'll be like, Daddy, let me help you with that. Daddy, sometimes she'll tell me, Daddy, let me make breakfast. Layla, what do you want to make? Well, Daddy, don't worry. I'm going to go get everything. Okay, what are you getting? Well, I got the syrup, and I got the cereal, and I got the honey, and I got the soda. And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> You know, you started off good with the chocolate syrup, but you went downhill from there. You know, like, you know, I'm like, no, baby, like, you can't. And, and sometimes even, like, she'll tell me, Daddy, I'll pour my milk today. 
And so I'll be like, okay, and I'll just kind of like hold the milk carton out, and she'll feel it, and she'll be like, oh, no, Daddy, you better pour that. Because she realizes very quickly that if I were to let go, there'd be a huge mess. Now, her intention was to help, but she still needs me to, to pour it for her. And I said, okay, baby, let's do it together. Because I love her and I want to see her grow. I think, man, again, going back to the love of God. How amazing with all the messes that I've made that he says, I still love you. You're my workmanship. Man, I want to use you. But man, I have to put off the old and put on the new and be willing to share with people the grace that he shared with me, the love that he shared with me. Because ultimately, that's what made the difference in my life. It wasn't a bunch of people telling me how dirty and disgusting I was and, and telling me what a failure I had been. What made the difference was men like the pastors that we have, like Pastor Charlie and my dad, like Pastor Joe, who after I had failed so miserably in the youth, made such a, a huge mess for him to have to clean up. The following week he said, Sam, come over for dinner. And he just loved me. And he said, man, God's not done with you. You're still his workmanship, man, but you have to put off the old. Put on the new. And I think that's something we need to share with the people outside. Let's put off the old. Let's put on the new. And like Paul say, man, because in me first, his grace can be shown. And let's bring those who are far off, bring them in.